Trigger warning. This episode contains adult content and may be distressing for some listeners. Pride Across the Ages is a collaborative project to amplify and celebrate the voices of LGBTIQA living in central Victoria. All episodes were recorded on Jar Jar land and respectfully recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. My name is Kim for short, but uh, my full name is Kimiko and I was born in Melbourne in the southeastern suburbs in the Generation X. So that 10 year period between, um, I don't know, I think it was 68 to 1979, something like that. But yeah, I'm at the beginning of that part, Generation X. I'm a she, her type person. My first name, Kimiko, is actually Japanese. I'm half Japanese. Dad was born in Japan and I was born here in Victoria. What was my childhood like? Growing up in Melbourne, southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, where there were hardly any Asians. Mm, a bit tricky uh, in the 70s. You probably know there was a bit of racism going around then if you were half Asian. I know my brother copped it a lot. So it was pretty tricky for that time, more so because of our Asian mix, I would say. There was only one other Asian at school at the time when I grew up and yeah it was a fairly Anglo-Celtic area in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne which I believe has changed quite a bit now. Growing up in in that part of Melbourne, Mount Waverley, it did affect one's self-expression in that you just wanted to fit in as a kid and um, wanted to have blonde hair and blue eyes and have a normal name that wasn't hard to pronounce as well Um, and my brother copped it the worst. We also attended a Catholic primary school and I must say it was pretty strict in those days. I think corporal punishment was part of the day. Getting the strap or getting your mouth washed out with soap could happen. So yeah, it was pretty different to how it is today. I'm third in a family of four kids. I've got an older brother and an older sister and a younger sister. Mum and dad were there. Dad was away a lot working and our grandmother, who was English, lived with us as well. We didn't have any cousins in Australia, uh, lots overseas. Um, Not that we went overseas when we were young. Um, We used to have lots of trips up the coast in the car, going up to Queensland. We're pretty lucky, really, because... Our grandmother was um, babysitting us a lot of the time. Mum and Dad also owned the first Asian food shop in Melbourne, which used to supply all the Asian food shops back in the early 70s. It's not there anymore. Anyway, it was called Japan Mart in Malvern. Nina was wonderful in that she was always there for cuddles, was always there helping to clean the house and cook for us. And uh, my younger sister used to emulate her a lot you know, trying to iron clothes while Nina was ironing clothes Um, and she used to cook lovely stuff like um, rice pudding and, yeah, baked pies and things like that. So Nina was a circuit breaker in our household. She'd lost her husband um, back in 1970, I think. So she came to live with us then and she was a big part of our household. So that was that was great on one side. On the other side of things, I think herself and her husband perhaps struggled with mum uh, marrying a Japanese man um, only less than 20 years after the war um, ended. So they lost a few friends as well around that time as a result. 
I had no idea that racism even existed until I think I was about grade three or grade two and we used to play British Bulldog back in the day, which I don't think you're allowed (laughs) to play anymore, but you pick teams. Someone would pick you to be on their team and the challenge was to make it to the other end of the yard without getting uh, grabbed or tackled to the ground. So... I realised when I was the last person standing that no one wanted to pick me, that there was something not quite right. But I didn't really um, cop it too bad. Aside from not being included in things as much, um, my brother used to get bashed up all the time. I used to think I I could pretend to be, um, that nothing would hurt me. Um, I used to try and put on a tough exterior, I think, and try not to show any hurts I would say and I probably from about grade one remember that one time (laughs) when I was trying to pretend I was the bionic woman and um I think I ended up being a bit of a bully actually in my first year when there was this young boy who was a bit weaker than me (laughs) so I yeah I pretended I was the bionic woman I would lift them up and then I um dropped the desk on my leg and I hurt myself but uh yeah that didn't last very long I just um decided to try and fade into the background after that a bit Hmm. I reckon probably right up to grade four, I didn't have too many... I had one friend who was a a Westerner white person. She was from New Zealand and uh, we got along really well. Her name was Kerry, I remember, Kerry Vaughan. But then they moved back to New Zealand and I do remember probably in the last couple of years of primary school where the last year I think I got included a bit more I had, had a bit of an upheaval, actually. I was sent to Japan when I was 10, so I had to do two years in one year, and then I came back after six months and my family broken up. So it was a pretty tumultuous childhood, actually. Very confused. In fact, my first feelings towards a woman that I just couldn't understand were towards my cousin in Japan, and I was 10 years old at the time. Um, I really missed her. Mm. Yeah. Um, I did speak Japanese in Japan when I was there for six months. I managed to learn how to speak it. So verbally it was fine. Uh, The written language was a lot harder. There's three different alphabets there, I guess you could say. So I could read the basic hiragana and I could speak pidgin Japanese, I guess, enough to get by if I needed to. But yeah, unfortunately, when I came back to Australia, that got lost a bit because I didn't get to use it much. Uh, When I got home, uh, the family broken up. Mum had asked us to come with her. We had no idea as kids what that meant, so we just uh, agreed to do what she said. So all of us ended up living with Mum. So, yeah, it was a bit of an upheaval. It's funny, Mum had the pants in the relationship. She was uh, very much into, uh, I think, the aesthetics of the Japanese culture and even though she was born, born and she's a white Australian, yeah, Mum basically ruled the roost. Um, and Dad was away earning money. He was a, a wool buyer. In fact, he loved that. They all called him Jack. Uh, his name was Masahiro, um, but they all called him Jack out on the farms and he used to do wool classing. So he loved that and um, loved hanging out with the farmers and being in the, on the farms. And so he classed wool and would earn an income from that. So he was the main money earner. Mum was at home keeping house, but also trying to keep the shop going as well. We had our nana, so she would often be there after school. So we were lucky we kind of had nana around as well. Mm. Dad was a lot of fun to me. He uh, would try and make time for play on the weekends. And Saturdays were great. He used to cook us curry and we'd watch Hey Hey at Saturday in the wild world of wrestling or something like that. So yeah, Saturdays were fun.
well, even as a child, uh, less than 10 years of age, I remember having dreams about women. Um, they were very nice dreams. And then I remember feeling very strong feelings towards my cousin, my female Japanese cousin, um, who I believe to this day is still not married, so I'm not sure. Mm. But things are a little bit, you know, under the table over there, perhaps. Then I went through my teenage years. I had boyfriends. I had a lot of Italian friends growing up, so I probably had a leaning more towards Mediterranean boys than um, the Anglo-Saxon ones, although I really get into cricket and got into cricket then, and there was one boy at cricket who I had a little bit of a crush on. So I did have a couple of little crushes as, as a, I don't know, 11, 12-year-old, but nothing like what I had um, when it came to crushes with girls. I remember in year eight, form two at the time, our teacher, I had a big crush on her, our, our classroom teacher, but was very confused about the whole thing and there wasn't really much information about it around at the time. Funnily enough, I do recall from that time, or maybe year nine, there was a girl who kept calling one of the other girls a leso or something like that. I found out recently when we had a school reunion she's actually in the closet herself still and she had actually approached me to ask me how I'd gone with coming out. I was pretty lucky I think after my Japan experience and coming back to Australia I think I did become quite resilient and so I tried having boyfriends as a teenager. I had a couple of very nice Italian boyfriends and one to this day whose mum is really annoyed that we never got married and had kids. She was really putting everything on that. But yeah, look, I then had to move out of home at 18 years of age. It was a tricky time because we were living at home with mum and my nana and I had started working as a secretary waiting to start my nursing course. I still had this inkling in the back of my mind about women but I wasn't really sure where it was going to go. I started nursing uh, at Preston Northcote Community Hospital. Um, I got into nursing and at that time we had nurses' dormitories, which was a great thing because I was, uh, I'd been kicked out of home. So I had um, somewhere to live for $10 a week. <laughs> and the best training you could possibly ever have as a nurse, I, I, I still think to this day is nurse training in the hospital. You got paid a, a basic wage and you had somewhere to live and you had heaps of mentors you could call upon. It really was such a good foundation. Um, it's something I hold with me today. To, I still mentor nurses today. One of the girls um, was attracted to women and she was one of my neighbouring uh, nursing student friends. And we had a little tete-a-tete and that just confirmed everything for me once and for all. Just prior to that though, I had been aching to meet someone and I, I found myself hanging outside the uh, Sir Robert Peel Club in Collingwood, which is mostly a boy club. And I used to con some of my nursing friends to come with me in the hope I could meet someone, but it wasn't really the right place. And there were too many gay girl places at the time. And I was actually pretty scared about the whole thing initially. There was a couple of, I think, clubs in on the main street in Swanson Street at the time too. I didn't really know any other gay people then this fellow student came towards me and um, we had a little affair. Unbeknownst to me, she had an affair with two other girls at the same time. And she's now part of a radical Christian group. And she tried to convert another girl into becoming a radical Christian, which she succeeded with temporarily. And now she's back married to a woman. Very interesting time. We've all had ups and downs. We've had periods of not talking to each other. My siblings, that is. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been the one in the middle of the family who's managed to maintain uh, good communication, I'd, I'd like to think. Um, I'm a Gemini as well, so I'm kind of into communicating if I 
can as best as possible. We all get on pretty well. We're all in our 50s now. Youngest of us is 50. She's just turned 50 last year. Yeah, I'm 53. My brother's 55 and my older sister's 56. But I guess one of the good things about being half Asian is you've got this skin that makes you look about 10 years younger. So we're all pretty close despite, you know, all our foibles and different things that have happened. The difficult times with my family continued. I ended up having to uh, find a place for my grandmother um, to live in. We found a beautiful place in, in Canterbury, actually. But at the time, silly me, I was having troubles meeting people. I did meet um, someone through cricket. She had a couple of mental health issues. And at the same time, I dabbled in a bit of amphetamine. And I ended up with a lot of tooth cavities after that. And that wasn't good that time at all. And it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a healthy relationship, so that that lasted about six months to a year. My next serious relationship after that was um, actually when I turned twenty six. After the amphetamine thing, I left Australia and went travelling around Asia for two years, mm-hmm. and was completely clean and started playing music around the places, Southeast Asia, and then backpacking and ended up in Japan, where I met and. Uh, for the second time, actually, I've met that partner in Asia before. And uh, we got together on my birthday, my 26th birthday, and we were together for 10 years. And she was from South America via Israel. We settled in Australia. Uh, I helped her to emigrate here. She grew up in a kibbutz in Israel, but had been travelling for a number of years following that. And I probably to this day, there's probably a lot of stuff happening in, in the Middle East and Israel that doesn't make it a terribly conducive place to go to, although I, I understand it's very beautiful as well. We settled in Australia. I just wanted to be back here and she was happy to try and come living here as well. So we um, did a immigration thing where you um, help that person to emigrate. And we had, we had some help from a lovely man in um, Caulfield somewhere who um, knew all about um, same-sex immigration at the time. Probably no more difficult to navigate than your heterogeneous um, type relationships. It's basically a lot of paperwork. You have to show proof that you've been in a relationship. At the time, I think it was a minimum of two years. You had to show shared experiences and uh, bank accounts, rental things. But we had a lot of help from this gentleman in Caulfield who had helped other gay people to immigrate here. It might be easier now because we probably need more immigrants in the country, but back in the day, I think it was limited to about 2,000 people a year or something like that. Music is something that I love and will always love, and I always have loved singing as a child, even in the car, doing harmonies with my sister going up the coast to Queensland. I studied classical piano when I was young. I really would have loved to have done blues uh, at 10 years of age, but I was too shy. I was very, very shy, I think, and probably still to a certain extent am realistically, but I had a great love for blues even as a 10-year-old. Unfortunately, I got put on stage by one of my music teachers in my second year or first year of high school and I got terrible stage fright and that really put me off music for about 10 years. However, I started travelling intermittently to Southeast Asia and I'd meet musicians and I uh, learnt to pick up the guitar and that was actually quite easy to learn after learning piano. I found. And when I ran out of money in Southeast Asia that in that two-year travelling period, I was very lucky to learn how to busk through uh, an American fellow, Doron, and a Greek man, Thanasis. And we played music six nights a week in a restaurant until I had money come through from Australia. Because back in those days, there was no internet. So you had to send a fax or a telegram or something and try and get some money somehow. So it 
really became my best friend. The guitar became my best friend, just a companion, just to have with you everywhere, wherever you go, it doesn't matter. Music is the best thing on the planet. So I've met lots and lots and lots of different people. I've played in heaps of bands, done lots of festivals all around, um, had a great time playing with a Latin reggae band, um, Madre Monte, about 12, uh, 10, 12 years ago. We did um, Port Ferry Folk Festival a couple of couple of times and I've had a, a number of wonderful experiences jamming and playing music with various people. I've suffered injuries this year, shoulder injury and back injury, and I'm just recovering from all of it now. And I'm having a little bit of a sabbatical, but I'm rethinking the whole thing. I've got music production gear at home and I really love just producing stuff. I do like performing, but it's a lot of hard work trying to keep a band together. It's like herding cats. And I'm sure any musician will tell you that. Oh, look, it's just fun. You know, when you find that magic chord or beautiful harmony or crescendo or whatever in a song, it's just worth it. It's just magic. So... I'm currently Kim and the Meme. Uh, there's four of us and there's about three or four backing vocalists who are in Ballarat and Melbourne who I'm hoping to bring together a gig for a gig in the coming months. Um, we've got some stuff I've recorded with uh, another friend a couple of years ago, our previous drummer, and now we're working with our new drummer, Martin, who used to play with Peter and the Wolves locally. And we're trying to get something together all polished up so that we can get on stage and do some do a few gigs locally and hopefully we'll do something at the cool room or at Mor- Morocco's bar in the coming months. Uh, we had some kids, foster care kids, for six months this year and the week after they left I just thought, oh, I'll pick up the guitar. I didn't really feel like playing. Plucked a few chords and a melody came out that was phenomenal and then a mistake happened and that was the bridge. So it's pretty organic it's never the same way twice um with that song the words are still coming and that's a really long time for a song for me usually oftentimes the words will come at the same time or I might write poetry and the poem might turn into a song depending on if I can hear a melody with it but I love writing and I love writing with other people or just exploring ideas I'm a bit of an empath so sometimes I can get clouded with other people's ideas in music and I have to pull back and reset I love doing body therapy with people. I'm also a massage therapist and body therapist and uh, I guess you could call a healer and I love to be able to feel energies on people's bodies and shift those in a way like shiatsu or acupressure does. So that's um, anything that makes makes me present. That's the other thing too. I've found Tibetan Buddhism to be really, really helpful. That's been one of the other huge crutches that I've managed to manifest or be lucky to... uh, meet with in this life so I don't know whether that emulates something being creative but there is something in the process of being creative that's really pretty much written down as a blueprint in the Buddhist stuff so I think anything that helps me as an air sign be present is really really helpful so I think to go back to being creative I think also woodwork is something I'd love to explore in terms of medium Um, in terms of being in the present I find kissing very helpful I was just thinking of that this morning things that make me present are really powerful because I have such a capacity to go off, as you could probably hear. Go off into dreamland. I'm a great daydreamer. I reckon if I'm dreaming about the future, that's that's being creative. And that's something I'm trying to allow to happen a bit more. I think when you hit 50, you don't worry so much about what other people are going to think. And I've heard that a lot of people say that, and I think it's true. So age has definitely helped. 
In terms of feeling comfortable with being gay, I think I've been pretty lucky with that because I knew even when I was a teenager or not even 18 that I wasn't going to be like my Italian friends and having a big wedding and things like that because there was no such thing as a, a wedding between two women. So I just had to accept that fact. And I, although it was a little bit hard, more because I wanted the party than anything, I, f- I found that relatively easy to come to terms with because I was pretty sure of who I was, I think, back in those days. In terms of coming out to family, I didn't have too much trouble. I was very, very, very lucky. Dad, who was Japanese, could have disowned me, actually. And luckily for me, he had a wife who was very intuitive, who warmed him up to the idea uh, that um, gay people actually existed by showing him... Um, videos back in the day I guess of these sorts of things and he would have probably had no idea really dad was pretty naive but he was a lovely man so one day he actually asked me after I brought my partner back from traveling in Asia if I was gay and I said I was and we both broke down in tears but they were actually tears of joy I was so so grateful and he said to me I had to ask you because uh, my Japanese colleague in Tasmania his daughter came out as being gay and he disowned her and to this day I think they have no contact so he didn't want that to happen with me we had a pretty special bond yeah yeah, he was he was wonderful to me. Dad was. Mum was um, a little bit indifferent initially when it first happened. Although recently, when I met my life partner Tonya, we got married two years ago. She cracked it really bad because Mum's a staunch Catholic and said that I've gone against God. Uh, I don't believe that. I believe in God, and I think uh, I think Jesus was probably a really cool guy. I don't like all these doctrines and isms, schisms, rubbish. But I've got to accept that's mum's point of view. That's how she was indoctrinated and grown up. And unfortunately, she's probably too old to change her views now. My grandma was really, really cool. She was the coolest of all, actually. She knew before I told anyone. Um, yeah, she she knew a lot, actually. Um, I brought my partner over one day, my uh, South American Israeli partner, over to her flat. And she just looked at me and she said, oh, is she your girlfriend? And I said, yeah, yep. She goes, oh, okay. You know, and she was just very quiet about it and, you know, she didn't change it at all towards me, her behaviour. She just knew. She was really cool. I've been in central Victoria the last 18 years. I was working in Dalesford and living around there all that time up until I met my partner, Tonya, who was in the process of building a house here locally. We met a bit over three years ago and I decided to help her finish the house and we sort of moved in together, although I've still got my place that I'm trying to fix up as well. Sometimes I go there for a retreat or have family over, but I'm mostly here in Castlemaine at the moment, although I'm really struggling with the heat and the hormones and I might have to go south of the ranges to get a bit more cool in the coming months. I don't know if I could live anywhere that wasn't gay-friendly. For example, uh, my partner's born in Ghana. I'd love to go and see where she's from, but I think we might get stoned and tied to a stake if we go there. I'm pretty sensitive to people's energies, so I think I've mostly lived in fairly accepting places. I don't know how it is in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne these days, but I, I moved to the northern inner northern suburbs when I was 18, and it was the biggest dump on the planet, Northcote and Thornbury. I remember seeing a dead body outside the, the Croxton Hotel, and I thought, what is this place? But, you know, it's obviously become much more progressive now, which is great. 
Actually, just remembering back to when I was living in the nurse's home, when I was trying to come out, it was very difficult. I had to tell some of my nursing friends and my initial reaction from them, 90% of them were from, from the country, by the way, was a little bit fearful that I might be about to jump on them or something like that. So I had to reassure my friend, no, that wasn't the case. And I was just trying to tell them where I was at sort of thing. So that was interesting, I think, to try and have to explain it to people. But if I was overseas living in Japan, I don't know. I think I'd probably have to be back in the closet a bit. I think being out and about locally in central Victoria is is great. In Melbourne, it's great. I'm not um, huge on the scene because I've never been into scenes of any sort. And music's always dictated more where I go socially than anything, bands and stuff like that. So that's the other thing, I guess. Being, if you're a bit creative, you've got a bit of artistic licence to just behave how you want to behave and you don't care what other people think. So I've been pretty lucky to carry that badge with me for a number of years now. For someone who's struggling to come out, I would say try and find whatever support you can to be your true self because really that is the most important thing, whoever you are. Look for groups, go and see a counsellor, get reassurance from other people outside your normal circle of people or your immediate circle and try and experience the wider world and know that you're a part of it and that you belong somewhere. Yeah. This project was made possible with the financial assistance of Victoria's Pride Regional Activation Program and Midsummer Festival, and with the support of the Mount Alexander Shire Council, the Mount Alexander Shire LGBTIQA Plus Steering Group, and the Queer and Now Radio Program on Main FM 94.9. This podcast has been produced by the Queer and Now team, Shireen Clue and Amalia O'Hara at Main FM 94.9. Editing and original music by Amy Chapman. A big thank you to all participants for sharing their stories with such a wonderful generosity of spirit. If anything within this episode has been upsetting for you, please reach out and call the dedicated LGBTIQA plus helpline switchboard on 1800 184 527 or Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Kids Helpline 1800 55 1800.